as I said just before the break, we've got some friends from Restored Rancho Cucamonga here today, which is really, really special. And I'm going to call up uh, Ashley and Scott in just a moment. But can we give them like a real restored welcome as they come on stage? Come on up, you guys. So most of you know them really well. If you are newer in this community, maybe not. But um, they've recently relocated to Rancho Cucamonga where they are living and working and planting a church. So we've just asked Scott to share a little bit, just a bit of an update. Uh, and then Ash is going to be preaching the next part of our series. So I'm excited. Um, yeah, so Ash and I were chatting when Grant asked us to share a recap or give you guys an update of what's going on. Um, we were like, are we, we kind of look at it at the church as like, a, you know, giving birth to a child, you know? And she's like, I don't know if we've been birthed yet. And I was like, I feel, well, are we infants? So I don't really know, but we're, we're young. Let's put it that way. And we're, it's a roller coaster, you know, and we are. Um, we've been meeting in our living room since October, and that's just a few people. There's been a couple more people that have kind of showed up, and we kind of got, there's probably like 12 to 15 of us that are meeting in there, um, and just this summer, we decided that we're going to jump into a new rhythm and try to, like, actually, let's meet, let's build relationships with the community. So we started a rhythm of gathering and then doing a social um, every other week, and so one really cool thing is we decided we were going to do a summer kickoff was our social and we did a barbecue guys we threw out invites and you guys know how it goes you throw out invites and maybe you get 30 percent of the people show up we had 54 people at this barbecue and it was absolutely amazing um yeah it was really really cool um so there's there's things that are actually in the works now. Things are, it feels like we got some momentum actually since then. And um, I don't know, it's not the craziest news, but we got a logo, so that's cool. Um, so look out for that Instagram and website, you know. Um, and since that social, so the last couple of gatherings that we've had, the living room's been packed. Um, we had 19 people in the living room a few weeks ago, and so... We are in the process of trying to find a larger space, uh, which is a big move for our little plant. So I'm excited about that. A few things that you guys could be praying about that we'd appreciate. Um, we would love some leaders to come somehow. God send people, um, especially like a worship leader of some sort. Um, you guys have been generous enough to share Marielle with us. Um, she's gonna. She's. I think gonna come down. She's already come down once. She's gonna come down again. Other restored churches are sending um, worship leaders, which is great. So we can actually have like a proper kind of worship gathering. So um, excited about that. Um, we have had a few like in our young church. We've had a few like really hard things um, just with health. Um, you're gonna hear about one of them today, um, but another um, gal in our community that's going through chemo right now it's 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 heavy stuff and so just trying to um, love well and our little church has actually done a really good job I think of that um, not perfect but I think there's um, we're seeing what it looks like to to love each other like a family um, and then just practically just finding the time to plant a church um, you know Bianca's with us and she's in the trenches with us and it's Ash and I and we all work, 
and I'm working 40 hours, Bianca's working 40 hours. So just like the practical um, aspects of like finding the time to do the discipleship stuff that we really know is actually needs to be done. Um, but also finding the time to have, you know, good family time and all those different things. So um, we're just kind of trying to find out what God has for us next. And at some point we got to, there's going to be, I don't know, maybe a shift in that. We'll see what happens, but just trying to find, find that actual time for what uh, makes sense and what we need to do as a, as a church to, to grow. So just a few things. Um, there's probably a lot. I could sit up here for a little bit, but um, yeah, that's our little plant. Please be praying. Well, I've been really excited for this message this morning and what Ash is going to share with us. So I want to encourage you to open your hearts just to what she's going to say. And would you join me with me as we just pray for her before she teaches? So, Father, we thank you just for Ashley, just uh, just someone who's so loved in this community. Thank you so much that she's here today and just for the crew from Rancho just being here today to support and celebrate and see and hopefully feel loved in the space. We just welcome you here, Holy Spirit, and ask that you would fill her and empower her and speak through her. And I pray, Lord, that there would be sentences and phrases and truths and scriptures and ideas that um, would impact and change our lives today. So we welcome you here and ask you to speak, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. So I have my tissues because being back here is already bringing up tears. Um, and I'm just really, really happy to be here with you guys today. So Scott uh, mentioned that we we moved about a year ago to Plant Restored Rancho and to be moved closer to family as well. And um, we also have two children. He didn't mention that, but we have Wesley and Maven, and they are eight and five. They're in the kids' ministry right now. Um, and another part of my life is I, I work for Restored Church. I work, I'm a clinical psychologist, and I... Um, council members from the different restored churches as well as do count, um, training and consultation for some of the pastors and um, I love what I get to do it's honestly been such a surprise in my life and not something I ever set out to do um, because I actually became a Christian in this community in the middle of working on my PhD for clinical psychology and God saved me kind of right honestly right in the middle of that program and looking back um, as I kind of reflect on that time, I can kind of see different ways God was pursuing me. And in hindsight, we go, oh, okay. Um, but one of the things that really, really kind of fueled my curiosity about Jesus was all of the shortcomings of psychological theory and practice. Um, I was learning a ton, you know, and I was almost through all of the coursework of the program. And well into all of the clinical training, that's where you actually start meeting with people and practicing what you're learning. And I, in all honesty, and most psychologists would say this is true, part of what attracts you to the field is you want to understand yourself more, too. You want to grow in um, kind of understanding how people change, how people are, you know, move through life in the healthiest ways. And, and so... You know, I was seeking that myself going into that field. And you want a career to help others. That's a big part of it as well. But there's a part of you that really believes this is going to make a huge difference if I, you know, understand all of this theory more, more if I understand how people change and grow. And um, But 
at that point in the program, I was kind of going through this little crisis of wondering, is there more? Because this still isn't impacting me in the ways that I'm wanting to be impacted. I still felt empty. I still felt dissatisfied in relationships. Um, I was looking to psych even to deal with shame or guilt I had over like, previous decisions I had made, wounds I had, um, just disappointments in relationships. And at that point in my training and education, I, I, I really had I didn't feel much different. I knew a lot more, but there was still that emptiness um, that we feel apart from Jesus. Because honestly, guys, the most um, impactful life change that I've experienced and the most like trans- transformational growth happened in this context, the church, and through a relationship with Jesus. And I'm, I'm still on a journey, like some of you guys, after having placed my faith in Jesus, of really learning how to... Um, you know, live in light of what Jesus has done for me. Um, still learning that no matter what I achieve, no matter what I, how I perform, uh, that Jesus is the one who will satisfy me. That Jesus's performance is the one um, that matters most. That my security is found in Jesus. I'm learning that He's my peace. That He can meet my relational, emotional, and spiritual needs in ways that no person can. But I'm not trying to talk myself out of a job completely, right? I told you I love my work. <laughs> um, and so after Jesus saved me, I had the experience of kind of looking at the things I had learned and being able to see that a lot of it was actually backed by biblical wisdom written thousands of years before and modeled in the life of Jesus. And so I could draw from what was really helpful and useful and use that while working with people from you know, like a Jesus-centered perspective. And I have, you know, the the privilege of sitting with people in some of the darkest seasons of their life, um, seasons of transition, loss, um, seasons of confusion. And that's what I want to talk about today, how to move forward with God in those types of seasons. And I'm not going to be able to say everything there is, but I'm going to share what I've prepared. And if you're not in a season like that, I... I just want to offer you um, today as a way to prepare, to be prepared for seasons like that as we're following Jesus. And I'm not necessarily going to talk today about times when we might struggle with a mental health disorder, um, but what I'm sharing today would be useful if you're in a season like that, but it wouldn't be all you would need in terms of care or treatment plan. So one of the best places I know in scripture to look for wisdom and insight and just to kind of find a blueprint for how to follow Jesus in difficult seasons and dark seasons is the Psalms. And that's where you guys are, are at right now, walking through the Psalms. Uh, we get a ton of examples in the Psalms, uh, how to just engage with God with difficult emotions, things like just discouragement and apathy, all the way to, to just despair. Um, and what I love about the Psalms is they show us how to deal, how to engage with God right where we're at. Not where we want to be, where we wish we were, but right where we're at. So my hope for today is that we can kind of look closely at one Psalm together um, as sort of like a prototype for how to engage with God through a difficult season or a spiritually dry season or a dark season. 
Um, Tom, I think, mentioned last week that the psalms are songs, right? And they're meant to be sung um, with one another and to God. And I love that. I love the just imagery of that, of singing the psalms. And if you've read the psalms, it seems kind of odd that we would sing those with each other. Some of them are just very dark, very dark. Um, And Tim Keller, he recently passed away. He was a pastor in Manhattan, and he actually wrote a beautiful devotional called The Songs of Jesus that walks you through the Psalms in a year. If you want to get more time in the Psalms or you're just kind of like you're enjoying the series and you're just curious where to start, pick up that book. It's been really helpful for me. Um, And one of the things uh, Keller highlights is that Christians would memorize and recite and even greet each other with phrases from the Psalms. But honestly, what what excites me even more than that is that we get to open up the Psalms and read the very same Psalms that Jesus would have memorized and recited himself. So any we get to just open them up. Same Psalms. The Psalms are incredibly useful in the life of a believer and, and Keller puts it like this. He says Psalms anticipate and train us for every possible spiritual, social, and emotional condition. They show us what the dangers are, what you should keep in mind, and how to get from God the help you need. That sounds pretty good to me. I'd like to be more prepared for life's hardships and to be able to relate to God in more meaningful ways when we do face situations like loss or transition. And I think the past few years really revealed to a lot of us that we don't really do well with transition, with loss, with confusion. Um, We get stuck or overwhelmed, and there's grace for us in that. God wants to meet us in that. But as believers, I think there is something to preparing for seasons like that. And you might find yourself in that season today, and you might not. So, um, As we kind of read through Psalm 42, I want us to kind of listen and pay attention closely to what we notice the psalmist doing. So if you have your Bibles, I'm reading from the CSB translation. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come up here before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession into the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior, my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones while all day long they say to me, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? 
Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior, my God. So let's take a closer look at this psalm together. Um, One of the things that stands out to me right away and that I just want to highlight for you is the psalmist is aware of what he is feeling and what he is thinking. And this psalm was written by a worship leader, one of the sons of Korah. So, and he, he, he kind of describes pretty clearly what he feels, what his thoughts are. And as we read, we see that his distress is so great. He's not sleeping or eating. He's crying all day and night in verse 3, feeling depressed, verse 6. And like in clinical depression, we could say there's a physical component to his distress. It's impacting his ability to function normally. He's no longer engaging with his spiritual community in ways that he has in the past, in verse 4. And others are mocking him in his faith. So he's feeling socially disconnected both inside and outside of his spiritual community. And the psalmist is aware of all this, right? We don't get the sense that he's avoiding or spiritually bypassing these feelings or distracting himself. It's right there. It's in black and white. And for some of this, this is really difficult, right? We, we lack awareness of what we actually feel or think or believe, um, which leads to what I want to focus on today. So I want to talk through just three main things today. And um, the first thing I want to talk about, how this self-awareness is good, but it's only a starting point as we're walking with God through seasons of suffering, really any season. And self-awareness, it must lead us to awareness of God. And then I want to talk through how awareness of God leads to gratitude and hope. So self-awareness is only a starting point. It's a good starting point, but it's only a starting point. Um, And most of us, we want a quick fix, right, for those feelings, those, those whatever we want to call them, distressing feelings, negative emotions. Um, And we turn to things like TV, we turn to things like alcohol or food or distract ourselves with our phones, all all the things. Um, I think Tom mentioned how many times someone looks at a phone in a day, it was some outrageous number, but we are distracted, right? Um, We want something to give us a quick hit in the pleasure center of our brain to distract us from that negative feeling that we have. And oftentimes people come to counseling, come to therapy when they've exhausted those attempts and they want another way out. They've realized that feels good temporarily, but the pain is still there, the problem is still there. And one of the hardest parts of therapy, if I'm gonna pull the curtain back for you guys, it's not real mysterious, but it's helping people just re-engage with what they're actually feeling. And people don't wanna do that because it's, it's painful. It feels horrible at first. And talking about self-awareness is, is really nothing new. Um, you know, the Eastern mystics call it mindfulness, and there are there is a ton of research to support the benefits on your mental health when you practice mindfulness. And when I was going through graduate school, this was sort of all the rage. It was all these different ways to help people be, become more aware, um, to slow down, to pay attention to what they're thinking, feeling. And 
mindfulness in a nutshell is just being aware of your thoughts, your emotions, and your bodily sensations, basically. And then once aware, we were really taught to just help people engage with those things in a non-judgmental manner. So just kind of notice. And what that led to was good, it led to people being less reactive, right? Maybe being able to slow down a little and not just react out of those sensations or out of those feelings or thoughts. Um, but that's not exactly what we see the psalmist do in that psalm. Self-awareness for the follower of Jesus is more than just radical acceptance or awareness. For the follower of Jesus, we should be curious about those thoughts. Because we know, like it says in Romans 12, 2, we are not to be conformed to this age, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And there's this incredible question that the psalmist asks himself. I don't know if you remember it or if you still have your Bible out, but he asks himself, why, my soul, are you so dejected? So this is one layer deeper of self-awareness. It's a kind of question that helps us discern, is what I'm thinking and believing good? Is it pleasing? Is it aligned with the perfect will of God? So we do first need to be able to identify what we're feeling, what we're thinking, and then we need to ask the why. The why is important. It's the question that can help us turn from believing lies about ourselves, about other people, and about God. It's the question that can help us figure out if we're putting our hope or our faith in something that can't satisfy, something that we weren't meant to put our hope in something that will ultimately fail us. And as a therapist um, and a Christian therapist, I often help people with this piece of self-awareness. I help them explore the why. The beliefs that fuel our emotional experiences are often uncovered, right, when we ask this why question. And our beliefs impact our feelings, which can impact our mood, which can ultimately impact our behavior. And when we ask the why, we, we get an opportunity to also uncover certain patterns, certain lies or certain beliefs that aren't helpful that we are prone to believing over and over again. And we call these as cognitive distortions as psychologists or thinking traps is a, an easier term that I like better because they really do trap you. So I'm going to walk through some of these, and I know we have a lot of therapists in this community, so these might not be new to you, and even just on social media, we have access to this kind of information, but I teach this stuff all the time, I talk about it, and I still fall into them. So just use this as a, an opportunity to refresh yourself if you're familiar. Um, I'm going to read through them, and I'll read the examples that I came up with um, to help us kind of see what they are. So as I'm reading, try to find maybe a couple of these that you fall into more often. So all or nothing thinking is basically looking at things in absolute black and white categories instead of on a continuum. Uh, people who think in black and white terms often see a, like a really small mistake as total failure. Uh, so here's my example. I, I really thought this gospel community group would help me feel better by now. It just isn't working. I might as well stop coming. 
Um, overgeneralization, so thinking that a negative situation is part of a bad cycle or bad things that happen. People who overgeneralize often use words like always or never. Definitely guilty of this. Um, so your friend forgets to call you on your birthday, and as a result, you think to yourself, she always forgets. I have no real friends. Mental filters, focusing only on the negative parts of a situation and ignoring any positive or good. Um, you plan an event for your gospel community group, and few people show up this time. We just had a situation like this. And you doubt yourself as a leader and feel angry towards your group members. And full confession, I did have those thoughts. I, I didn't sit with them, but I did have those thoughts. Um, fortune telling, predicting that things will turn out badly without any evidence. This one's real helpful. Um, you're getting to know new people at work, but you think to yourself, I know they're going to reject me anyway, so I might as well pull back from this friendship. Emotional reasoning. This one's pretty popular right now culturally. Um, assuming that one's negative feelings reflect the way things really are. So I feel, therefore it is. So I'm feeling overwhelmed. So I must not have what it takes to complete this task. I feel anxious. So I must be in a dangerous situation. Or I feel uncomfortable. So this must not be good for me. Or should statements, um, telling yourself you or others should or must be able to do or handle more than you can. And hear me, as followers of Jesus, there are things we should and shouldn't do, but this is heaping a burden on yourself that you weren't meant to carry. So an example, um, you're a new mom who's struggling and you think, I should be able to handle, handle this without help from others. Definitely been there. Um, mind reading, another favorite. Concluding what others are thinking without any evidence or making any effort to check it out. So your pastor passes you after gathering. It doesn't say hi this time. So you think to yourself, you must not like me anymore. Or I must be in trouble if you carry a lot of shame. Personalization and blaming. Believing that everything others do or say is your fault or a direct reaction to you in some way. So your teenage son is doing poorly in school and you say to yourself, all my fault he isn't studying. I haven't prioritized his education. Or blaming. His teacher just doesn't understand his learning style. So she's the reason my son is failing. So I want to highlight kind of why this level of self-awareness and asking ourselves why is important by just using a personal example that happened um, to me within the last six months. And it's not a, a, an example about a time of suffering, but it's important because we learn these, this ability to grow in self-awareness, usually in times where we're not in a season of suffering. So I want to share um, a little exposing personal example. But um, recently, Scotty and I, were, we were at a training for church planters in LA, and we were doing an exercise on marriage. And the leader was basically asking us to brainstorm what came to mind when we thought of marriage, right? So pastors are throwing out things like, oh, to become one, it's love, it's, you know, and, and Scotty raises his hand and he just says, marriage is hard. <laughs> That's it. And he came with me. So... I honestly felt embarrassed, right? I felt a little annoyed, a lot annoyed. And my cheeks got red, like I felt the physical sensations of embarrassment, my stomach was tight and I'm sitting there. 
And if I'm thinking about those thinking traps, I probably was doing a little mind reading, right? So, so why was I embarrassed? I was assuming he thought our marriage is uniquely hard, right? So some mind reading, some personalization. I must be a difficult wife. I must be the problem here if the marriage is hard. Um, fortune telling. These people aren't going to respect us or think highly of us if they don't think our marriage is healthy or, you know, solid. And what happened next, and guys, that's like within seconds, right, that that happens. It's real quick. Our brains are going. And what happened next is he did elaborate, and he kind of talked about the creation, fall, redemption, restoration of marriage. It's two sinners. That's why it's hard. And, and like, he elaborated. I'm like, whew, okay. Um, and, you know, it's meant to glorify God. All That's great stuff. Whatever. So his statement really had nothing to do with our marriage, which is hard at times. But what if I would have just ran with that, right? What if he hadn't elaborated? How might the night have gone? Because we went on a date that night after the training. How might I have treated him or how might I have felt? Because there are times when we feel negative emotions and it isn't connected to a lie. And I'll get back to that. Um, but while self-awareness is, it's a critical starting point and a lack of it can be really dangerous, we can't just stop there. And some of you, you have this part down even. You, you know, you're like, okay, I got this. I'm really aware. Um, and you know exactly what you're thinking, believing, and feeling, but you don't necessarily know what to do with it, right? You have those feelings, those sensations, those thoughts. And they end up coming out sideways. You dump them on those closest to you or put the pressure on them to make you feel secure or safe or you bottle them up and then explode or whatever it is. So by just focusing on self-awareness, we may miss what God wants us to do with that awareness. We may miss noticing something that he's actually asking us to deal with, right? So self-awareness and all the various techniques that we could teach you to cultivate it It should show us how our fears, how our insecurities, how our doubts, how our self-righteousness and other struggles keep us from loving God and loving others with fullness. And self-awareness, therefore, it's not the ultimate goal, right? It's just a, a means by which we become more and more aware of our desperate need for Jesus. So that brings me to... What else I want to talk about? Number two, I guess. Yeah. Self-awareness must lead us to an awareness of God. So the psalmist doesn't just ask himself why he's feeling the way he is, but he also brings his thoughts and his questions to who? To God, right? Come on, Tom got you guys to talk. Come on, we got to talk. He's not just self-aware, but he's aware of God. And he speaks with God honestly, even though he says he's not experiencing God in the ways he wants to. He's wondering where God is. Where are you at? I'm, when am I going to be able to feel your presence again? Despite that, he still holds on to his belief that God is approachable. God is faithful. God is with him. He can ask God questions. Um, God can handle his dark thoughts, his dark emotions. And even though he's complaining to God, you know, that he can't sense his presence, his circumstances are horrible. He continues to lean in. So to connect to what I shared earlier and the example of all the thinking traps that I could have fallen into, right? 
The things we learn about ourselves through introspection and reflection can really shape the way we engage with God. And so if Scotty hadn't elaborated, let's just say he just meant our marriage is uniquely hard, right? And said that in front of all of our new friends and leaders. What would it look like for me to be aware of God in, in our midst and to engage with God with my embarrassment and with my anger? Well, in that gap between when Scotty initially shared marriage is hard and then a few you know, minutes later, a couple people throwing out other things and when he elaborated, I asked myself some questions and asked some questions to God. Like, why does this bother me so much? Internally, of course. Am I more worried about these people's approval than yours, Lord? Am I basing my view of myself far too much on how others see me than on how you see me? Or too much on how I perform as a wife than on your finished work on the cross? Am I wanting to appear impressive instead of wanting you to shine the brightest in our marriage? Without awareness of God in our midst, we don't ask these sorts of questions. And something else happened when I slowed down and asked those questions. I felt a little nudged by the Holy Spirit. And it was sort of a little nudge to just stay quiet. Because my natural tendency would be to jump in, expand on the, you know, the response, and fill it in with something. And I, I really felt God was asking me to be quiet. And so I did. It wasn't easy. And... I felt like he was asking me not to cover my shame or my embarrassment with good performance, not to fill it in. To trust that his perfection is what matters and not my own, my glory, his glory, not mine, his approval, not theirs. And this is a small example, but guys, I honestly don't really do this all the time and probably only did because we were in this like gospel saturated weekend and I was had all these beautiful reminders of God. And, and but honestly, sometimes these things happen in seconds and I don't get to that place where I slow down and ask God or ask myself. And I even still made a snarky comment that night, like our marriage is so hard. OK, so just I'm not the model here. I'm just sharing, you know, what it could look like. Um, but. But it does change things, right? And it really changes everything when we're aware of God. And it helps us remember that we're not alone to sort out life's struggles from everything like this little embarrassment to a season of loss, a season of transition, a darker season. It can lead us to turn from just our sinful tendencies to cover our shame um, or sulk on our feelings in a self-centered manner. Psalm 42 shows us that God can handle our painful thoughts and difficult questions and can meet us in whatever we discover through self-reflection to bring us greater freedom, greater security, and greater confidence in the gospel. Pretending only hurts us, right? And even in this like really ordinary example, I could have just kind of pretended like I was cool, not brought it up, distracted myself, um, not been curious about it. Um, but God already knows what's going on inside of us. So I would have just missed out. We miss out. God already knows all the dark emotions, all the fears, all the insecurities, and he loves us anyways. So, so far we've seen that having self-awareness is good, but it's only a starting point that should lead us into an awareness of God. And next I want to talk about um, 
how that awareness of God can lead to gratitude and hope. Two things I think we could all say we would love to experience more of. So the psalmist doesn't just listen to himself. If you read back through that psalm, he does something else. He talks to himself. And he does this very intentionally and reminds himself of specific times when he experienced the faithfulness of God. And he also reminds himself that his suffering will end, which is a gospel promise or or a truth, a gospel truth. So the rhythm of the psalm is like this crying out, where are you? What is happening? Why is this happening? This is horrible, but I remember when, and I know one day you will make it right. I'm crying all day and night, but I remember when I was filled with joy and led the community into worship. I'm so depressed, it's unbearable, but I remember when key moments of your faithfulness, you know, key moments of your faithfulness at Jordan, at Herman, at Mount Mazar, my sorrow is so overwhelming, I'm in agony, but I know your love will visit me. I know this will end. And the psalm ends with, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God. For I will still praise him, my Savior, my God. So let me ask you a question. Which emotion do you think that I remember when statements lead to? Come on, guys. I believe in you. Gratitude. Yes, yes. So when we look back and we recall God's faithfulness, we experience gratitude, right? And gratitude is this amazing thing that, you know, recently neuroscience has backed up, hey, this is good for you. Gratitude is really good for you, which, again, backs up biblical wisdom, right? And especially research over the past 10 years. um, When we enter a grateful state of mind, this wonderful thing happens where we actually can't experience the feeling of anxiety, the sensations of anxiety when we're in a grateful state of mind. The two cannot coexist, which is incredible. Um, We also release dopamine and serotonin, which are kind of those neurotransmitters that we need to feel happy. So what's good for us spiritually is also good for us physically, which is amazing. Like God's wired us this way. Um, There are many other benefits, um, like you have more gray matter if you practice gratitude regularly, which is pretty amazing. That's the part of your brain that's responsible for processing information. Um, So that's pretty fascinating. And we see just overall mental health outcomes on people who practice gratitude regularly. They they do better mental health-wise. But there's more, right? The psalmist doesn't just look back and feel grateful over what happened. He looks forward to the promises of God. And he reminds himself of God's character throughout the psalm. And which emotion would that lead to, looking forward? Yep, hopefulness. So for us as followers of Jesus, honestly, sometimes the promises of God can become like white noise, right? We hear him on Sunday, we hear him in the songs, and we just kind of, they're not really touching us. So the psalmist does something. He speaks to himself about the promises of God, reminds himself of the truth of who God is, who we are in Jesus, and the promises um, so he can move forward in this darker season. 
So we get to speak directly to ourselves about the lies, the thinking traps, or unanswerable questions we have with reminders of God's faithfulness in the past and God's promises for the future. And psychologists call these techniques, it's not a perfect parallel, but it's close, like cognitive restructuring. And they include things like reframing, right, which is looking at something from a slightly different perspective, or thought challenging, questioning the validity of a thought to see if it's really true and, and replacing it with a more helpful thought. So talking to ourselves about who God is and what he's done and what he promises to do in the future, it's not ignoring pain. It's not spiritual bypassing. It's rather seeing that what we're experiencing, whether it's a little embarrassment or a major loss, is not all that we have experienced or will experience in the future with Jesus. So going back to that little marital mishap, um, as I grew more aware of what led to my embarrassment and anger, uh, I noticed some of the thinking traps, right, that I was believing, and I could then talk to myself and Jesus something like this. Jesus, thank you for saving my husband and I. We would be caught in the ongoing cycle of pride and despair if it wasn't for you. Pride when we were doing well and our marriage was thriving and despair when we were struggling or we looked foolish to the world. Lord, let me be more concerned with your reputation, your glory than my own. Let the brokenness in myself and my marriage highlight your goodness, grace, and power. And then future promises. You will complete what you started in my husband and I. And Grant reminded us it's one degree, right? One degree of glory. <laughs> so growth is slow. You will complete it, though, God. And one day when we are with you in glory, we will have perfect relationships with one another as we do with you. And my soul will no longer crave the affirmation and acceptance of others because I will be so satisfied in yours, Jesus. So self-awareness is only a starting point, leads us to God awareness, and awareness of God and his faithfulness in the past and the promises for the future will lead to gratitude and hope. And I want to remind us of something really important. It's an advantage we have over the psalmist, right? These psalms were written before Jesus came, right? We know Jesus came. We know Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross in the ultimate act of love, faithfulness, sacrificial love. And when we place our trust in him, we have peace with God. Our future is secure. And one day we'll be fully reunited with Jesus, body, mind, and spirit free from all, all suffering. We don't have to wonder if God understands our pain or our struggles, small things like embarrassment, big things like physical illness, because we can look at the Gospels and see that Jesus knew what it was like to suffer, to feel physical pain, to feel rejection, to feel loss, to go through transition, to feel distant from God on the cross. to be distressed to the point of sweating blood. And when the psalmist writes in verse 8, the Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. We can cry out, amen. And if our faith is in Jesus, we can say the Lord has sent his faithful son 
who saved me because he loves me. I pray to the God who restores my life. And when the psalmist says in verse 9, I say to God, my rock. We can remember how Jesus identifies himself as the cornerstone. And as we close today, I wanted to bring someone up who's very special to me. It's my dad. And um, the reason I'm bringing up is not because he's my dad, but he recently went through just a a really a, a life altering event, a near death experience. And um, you know, as one of my favorite Christian authors describes, kind of um, what you know, this faith we see in the Psalms, it's. A, he describes it as a psalmic faith, right? Something to be done, not just read, not just recited, but to be lived. And I really observed that in my dad as he went through this, this law. So I just want to interview him and ask him a few questions to share with us because um, you might be in a season like that where you're experiencing loss or pain or transition. So this is my dad. His name is Bill. Okay, so tell us a little bit about just what happened to you and recently. Uh, we were on a vacation with the family, uh, two granddaughters and a brother-in-law, I mean a brother and a sister-in-law. And uh, me and uh, Camille, my younger grandchild at the time, uh, were going out snorkeling. Um, <coughs> it was at a black sand beach in, on the big island of Hawaii. We had been there a couple days before, so I was familiar with it. And uh, we go, we start going out. We get about 7,500 yards offshore following this beautiful reef. And uh, I started uh, losing my breath. Couldn't, could not uh, get a full breath in. And <laughs> I didn't want Camille to get scared, so I sent her back in. I said, hey, we're getting a little far out here. You better swim back in. <laughs> And um, she did. I could see her going all the way back in. She didn't think nothing of it. And uh, now I needed to find a space to rest, see if I could catch my breath. Um, and there's this rock sticking out of the reef. <coughs> and I grabbed onto it. So thinking that, man, I'll, I'll just catch my breath and swim in. And um, I start feeling a little pressure in the chest, a little pressure down my arm. And I go, whoa, this, you know, I may have to call for help or, or do something. But they're far. I mean, I could see the people on the beach. I don't know if I could get enough breath to calm out. So all of a sudden, this lady comes up out of nowhere, swims behind me and says, hey, are you okay? I go, trying to catch my breath here, get enough uh, rest to make it into shore. And uh, she goes, take your time, I'll swim with you. So, never really got the breath back, but I said to myself, I better go for it right now. Um, or, you know, the lady's going to have to go in at some time. And she, <coughs> so I let go, and she, she starts swimming with me. Um, as I'm going in, man, I, I really, the, the beach was beautiful, and I thought to myself, man, if this is where I have to go, God, Hawaii on a black sand beach is not bad, you know, not bad at all. And, uh, man, I, I look up, and I'm swimming. I'm actually swimming in the wrong direction. I have to come back, and I have to go back to shore. 
and uh, man, I'm running out of air. And I don't know how I made it to the last 25 yards of that swim, but I remember um, getting onto the shore and the, the little waves breaking on me and I go, oh, I made it, you know. And then I stand up and I fell right back down and water started coming out of my mask and stuff and I rip it off. <coughs> and uh, my older granddaughter comes up and asks, hey, are you okay? I go, yeah, yeah, I just need to catch my breath. And uh, so I really thought, okay, I must, you know, I had an illness about a year ago and I thought, man, that I must be, recovering from that still but uh and i tried to talk myself into staying uh staying at yeah i go to the condo or yeah and get my breath back relax and and my brother who had had a heart attack when he was 49 said no he goes what you had was a heart attack man you better better go to the doctor so um, Carlin, uh, it's amazing how God works in our lives, man, from the lady being out there to my brother being pres present and for me listening to him. Um, and then, okay, so I decide, yeah, let's go. Carl and I start walking to the parking lot, and there's a paramedic right there out of nowhere. He, he was called for another person in, in the ocean at that time that they were looking for. Um, a lady that was face down in the water. Same time, same beach. But he he took us to the gave us directions to the uh, hosp the hospital, which was only ten minutes away, I think. So Carter and I drive in with everybody, and uh, I get there thinking that the guy's going to say, "You're all right," you know, go back to the condo. Nothing really happened, and they ran some tests, and they immediately packed me up into a rescue plane and flew me to Oahu. Mm -hmm. And you ended up having open heart surgery. and Yeah, I ended um, up having a, a double bypass with uh, aortic valve replacement and and they re rebuilt my aorta basically. Um, it had enlarged due to the faulty valve. Mm -hmm. What what thoughts were you aware of as it was going on and after with the recovery? Because I know there were hard days during the recovery, yeah. but just about thoughts you had and how you engage with God with those thoughts. Really um, swimming in, um, I knew, I felt the presence of God. He, he was like, you got to make it in, you know, and you're not going to die out here. We have work to do or whatever. And I never panicked. I, I could feel myself uh, feeling pretty calm on the swim, in the swim, and even though I was running out of breath. Uh, so I felt his presence there. The lady at the rock felt his presence there. Yeah, he stuck out in, in several times of this journey. I mean, the, my brother being there, um, the short trip to the hospital, them having a rescue flight, all this uh, was, to me, I, I could feel I felt God's presence and that um, I actually was pretty calm. Um, during that whole incident. Um, when the doctor told me that I had to have double bypass surgery, uh, um, not so much, there was some anxiety and, and you know, I, 
explains the surgery and you're thinking oh my god man that's uh, that's pretty pretty hardcore and uh, it goes in stages. The, the doctor gets you around and he says, okay, uh, this is what I found. This is what we're gonna do. And then the next time is pre-surgery, you have a meeting with the doctor. And I was fortunate to have Ashley there. Uh, Carlin was there, my other daughter, Casey, and my sister-in-law, Christine. And the doctor's explaining exactly what they're gonna do. And I'm thinking, hmm, uh, that looks like a lot of, of work you get, need to be doing. Um, still, God's there. So I, Christine, my sister-in-law, who's who is not a believer, um, at the end of this meeting, she goes, "Doc, make sure you take good care of this guy." And uh, Doctor Louis, don't know nothing about him other than he was a pretty good heart surgeon. Turns around and says, "God's got this." So, so, so no doubt. Um, I felt like, hey, man, I'm, this is going to be uh, something that I'll be able to handle. God's got this. I'm going to live through it. Mm -hmm. um, Post-op, uh, after the surgery, surgery went great, came out of there. I, I didn't feel anything. It was, you know, you're under some meds and stuff. Um, but uh, after that, the meds kind of start wearing off and I, I, I don't know where it comes from because I'm not an anxious person but I started getting anxious and having anxiety and Ashley would come in and she would say hey let's try this let's try that and you know let's pray and believe me without um, that reassurance and God being there that anxiety would have got got pretty bad because it did at one point cause a reaction that I had to be swept away to uh, everyone got out of the room and I didn't know what was going on, but uh, everything calmed down real soon. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I felt God's presence through this whole thing. The, the One of the things that I just was encouraged by was just the gratitude that you expressed throughout all of it and the hopefulness. And you might not have even remembered, but you were recounting God's faithfulness in times in the past in your own life. And... So I don't know if you remember that, yeah. but, but you were um, just remembering times when he was with you in the past. And yeah. um, so that was just such an encouragement to me. And so, so yeah, God, God's been faithful to me for a, a very long time. He's blessed me with a wonderful family and uh, blessed me being able to take care of them uh, when I had to and but I've always felt that I've like been one of these Christians that's just barely going to get into heaven. You know what I mean? Just all going to be there barely. But after this uh, journey, uh, people coming around, friends from 10 years that I haven't talked to, sending uh, cards and stuff, and the community that this restored rancho uh, came around. I mean, I didn't have to worry about feeding the horses, doing my pool work, anything. And we had to stay there a month in Oahu before I was able to fly out. All that was taken care of by the community and friends. Um, yeah, I totally felt undeserving of that. You know, like, wow, all these people coming around doing this stuff for me, I've never done anything for them. But yeah, it kind of bugged me for a while. And then, uh, and then I was uh, reading Corinthians. I was studying for a, a group that I have with my brothers. 
and uh, talked all about love. Um, so basically all these, this community just came around and were beating Christians. Yeah. And you said you felt like uh, a child. Yeah, I did. I, I felt like God was looking down and, you know, you don't have to feel like you're going to barely make it in. That, that, you know, you always read where God looks at us like being his children. And I, and I totally felt like, felt like one. Felt like one, yeah. I did. Beautiful. Oh, Thank hard. You. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Love you. So as we close, I think, you know, we could find ourselves in a lot of places um, when we think about if we're in the middle of suffering or if we fear suffering, if we and to, you know, we know it's coming. The Bible says we're all going to face this or just life experience. I know people will go through hardship. Um, I just want to encourage us as a church to begin to ask ourselves where in that psalmic faith that we kind of saw described, the being aware of what you're feeling, being able to engage with God in that, um, being able to remind yourself of the faithfulness of God and the hope we have for the future, kind of where in that are you struggling the most? And just invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you grow in that area. And if this all sounds good, but you're like, hey, I don't feel like a child of God. I don't know what you're talking about. I just want to invite you to um, ask God to show you what it means to be a child of God. And I think Grant talked about just, or one, somebody had an image of just the father with open arms from the story of the prodigal a couple weeks ago. And um, that's the image that I have for like that God has for you. So um, I love you guys. Thank you for bearing with us and our tears. And <laughs> thank you. Can I ask you guys to stand with me? We're going to go out with um, just a time of worship and a time of singing. But I would love you to respond to whatever it is in the message which seems relevant to you. Uh, I, I feel like that question why has just been going through my mind the, the whole morning. Um, I'm feeling anxious today. I don't know why. My chest just feels a little bit tight. I think what you're talking about, just the physical kind of embodiment of that, I, I'm feeling that now. And I'm asking God, why am I feeling this? You know, what is going on in me today? Um, and to bring that to him. So before the band sings, w would you respond? May maybe it is just a moment of self-awareness, of God awareness, uh, of gratefulness, gratitude looking ahead, hopefulness. Uh, my name's Adam. I'm uh, one of the elders here. And uh, I had two takeaways um, from this morning. Um, one was, um, I don't know if you grew up in the same way that I did, but I was taught that emotions were sinful and wrong. Um, I actually was taught to like ignore them or not even acknowledge them. And uh, um, one of the things that the truth about that though is that emotions in themselves are not sinful right we know jesus felt sadness he felt anger he felt grief um and it's what we do with those emotions right um i think it was annie or grant shared this quote of um emotions are like it's like uh the your kid in your car um you don't let them drive um but you also don't throw them in the trunk okay so 
we we can acknowledge them and say, hey, God, what what are you? What is this? Why am I feeling this way? Um, and it and that's gonna um, I'm gonna invite you to to pay attention to that, you guys, and pause. And it takes time to slow down to do that. Um, and the second thing, yeah, we get, the second thing he has something to share too. <laughs> um, was that I instantly um, hearing Scotty and Ash share. Um, I just thought of Galatians 6, 9, and just thinking about that passage of don't grow weary in doing good. Um, and I just think about like over the last like 10 plus years of the church, um, what God's done in this family. And uh, that like, I was thinking Trang and I were one of our first GCs, one of our first gospel communities was hosted and led by the Strowmans. Um, and to see now what God's doing through them in Rancho is, is like so, so beautiful. And I just want to encourage you as like, don't grow weary in doing good because we'll reap that harvest. So for those of you from Rancho um, or us here in Uptown too, like I, it's challenging uh, walking with Jesus. There's hard, there, you'll make sacrifices. It's There's challenges, but to not grow weary in doing good, you guys, um, because I just, I feel like 10 years from now, um, the picture of what Rancho is going to be is going to be so, so beautiful, even in the next like few years. Um, so I just want to encourage you guys in that. And you, Okay. <laughs> so let me let me pray for us, and then we'll wrap up here. God, thank you for um, Jesus. Thank you for yeah, Jesus modeling what it meant to be self-aware, the ultimate example of self-awareness. Um, God, I thank you that we have the Psalms, we have your Word, that we can learn um, what it means um, to be self-aware, what it means to bring those um, like feelings to you. Um, and that you're not surprised by them, um, you're not shocked by them, um, and that you want to walk through those things with us, God, and that you meet each of us in really unique and beautiful ways, and you're never, um, you're never too busy. You always want to pause with us and listen with us um, and care for us, God. So, yeah, we love you. We thank you for the Strowmans, for the Sweets. Um, we just thank you for the work that you're doing there in Rancho. We pray just a yeah, just a, a blessing over them as they continue to do that work, continue to, um, yeah, just like bring the gospel to that space, kill more rattlesnakes in their backyard, <laughs> um, and just bring people to you, God. Um, so we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.